engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Good evening. It's Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB, the nation's most listened to news talk station. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Uh, joining me out of the gate today, Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle to talk about the adoption bill passed the Senate, moving back over to the House. Lieutenant Governor, welcome. Hey, yeah, good to be with you tonight. I hope things are going well for you. Thank you. You too. Uh, and well, I, I hope things are going well for you, considering you're in session and I'm not. <laughs> well, you, you you know how it is under uh, in a forty day session. You never know what you're going to get. But we're off to a great start uh, with the adoption bill, and have some wonderful uh, uh, news for you here tonight. Uh, we obviously put. Uh, a, a new uh, vision, a provision on the bill that's uh, supporting and strengthening families act, something that has been a high priority of, of the Senate and myself for four years, and, and I think we've got great success. And it really is at the heart of giving more power back to families, uh, strengthening and, and also empowering not just families, but also faith-based organizations to step in in time of need to help these individuals, particularly parents that may fall on a difficult time. I think all of us know of potentially someone that might be a single mom that, uh, sadly enough, was in a situation where uh, she uh, you know, fell victim to opioid addiction, and she needs someone to step in the gap to help her during this time of crisis. And right now, under the state law, the only option that that individual would have would be turning her child over to foster care or government control. And I just believe that we need to empower our churches, empower our faith-based organizations to step in and help these individuals in time of need. And that's exactly what this bill does by giving them the uh, opportunity to give a temporary legal guardianship of their child for up to one year. And I've had a number of uh, churches that have reached out to us in support of this. Uh, one of the things that uh, is being done across the country is a Safe Families, um, and it's a wonderful organization. This actual legislation is already in place in 14 different states today. Uh, they're also up and running in 27 different states, and the results have been remarkable in terms of, of empowering churches to get involved to help help individuals that, that are in that time of, of difficulty. And so uh, this piece of legislation really does uh, empower that, and we're excited about moving it forward. We have so, the support of the Georgia Life me, Alliance uh, as well. Let me jump in here real quick and, and just correct me if I'm wrong here, but my understanding is, uh, in fact, this is one reason a lot of churches uh, really pushed uh, for this to be added into the adoption legislation is parents can essentially use a power of attorney and mm -hmm. give care of children over to individuals or nonprofits like a church to take care of them for up to a year when they're mm -hmm. on hard times without having to get defects involved. And my understanding is that uh, that was being done in some cases and, and defects told them there wasn't a law in place, so they couldn't do that, which is why this law is coming forward. Well, you're exactly right. In the case of uh, Twin Cedars down in LaGrange, uh, that's exactly what took place. And so they were not getting any referrals. But if you look, 
uh, down in southwest Florida where the the safe families are already in place they're partnering with Florida in a beautiful way 60% of all of their referrals come from defects itself and so this is a great way for the faith-based community to really step up and solve these issues and and obviously put these you know kids in a loving home in a temporary capacity and the success ratio is what is also remarkable because the success of it is that 90 percent of those kids return back to their uh, their their parents uh, after this temporary custody and so this applies to military personnel if you have a single mom let's just say and sadly enough she possibly you know is the, uh, is uh, has to go off well who does she leave her child with and in this situation she could be empowered to choose who she gives that legal custody to and so as it relates to being able to have the child in school along with uh, the medical care that they may need all of that obviously is given to that individual that's taking care of the child. So it really does give us a lot more tools. And ultimately, this is, you know, this is a faith-based uh, opportunity uh, for our state to engage in, uh, not looking to government to solve all of our problems. And when it comes to, sadly enough, the cost associated with foster care that taxpayers are paying, it's a, a significant amount of money and on average about $25,000 a year. Eric Erickson here on WC. I'm talking with Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle. Um, I won't ambush you with any any infrastructure transportation questions <laughs> on, on Atlanta traffic. Let, let's stick to the adoption legislation. This has moved now to the House, and last year it seems like it 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 was widely acceptable in the Senate, which has always seemed to be a little friendlier for issues like this and religious liberty and whatnot. And it's moved to the House now. And uh, what do you think the odds are that it's able to to make it through? I think we really have a very good shot. The House has um, has actually passed this legislation before, and um, it went to the governor, and, and he actually vetoed it over some concerns. But we are in communication both with the House and the governor, and honestly, I'm very optimistic about passage. Now, as you might imagine, the liberals on the other side, they, they want government control. They're using arguments like we need a judge to make this decision, not a parent to make the decision. And uh, they also have concerns, as you might imagine, with you know giving faith-based organization more power, more control, and a, a power of attorney, if you please. All of those things are big concerns. So we certainly do not have this one over, uh, you know, over the goalpost yet. But we're working very, very hard, and certainly your listeners can be very uh, proactive in helping us in that effort. Well, in that regard, I know Andy Stanley released a letter uh, from North Point encouraging the passage of this provision in the adoption legislation. I know it's got some strong sponsors in the House. Uh, what would you encourage the audience here to do? Because it is a great piece of legislation, and, and I'm glad to see you supporting it and, and leading, pushing through the legislature on this. What can people do to help? Well, obviously, I think number one, they can they can reach out to their local elected officials and say, "Listen, we want we want you to support this. This is good for our church. It's good for faith based organizations, but more importantly, it is good for kids." And um, the the second thing that I think is is really the opportunity is empowering our communities to really step up and say. 
in time of crisis, we need to be there to help. And so we don't have to turn to government to do it. We can do it ourselves. And just like with North Point, with their Fostering Together program, they're stepping in and they're looking at problems in a holistic way and ministering to individuals in time of need. And so they can help them if it is an addiction, if it is a loss of job, a, a, a loss of employment, any of those set of circumstances, they can step in and say, let us help you in a holistic way to take care of the child, place them in a loving home in a temporary way while you're able to get the help that you need. All of these things are just more tools that allow greater ministry to be done throughout our communities. And when we do that, we're obviously strengthening families and we're giving our kids a much better chance in life. Well, Lieutenant Governor, listen, I, I thank you very much for taking some time out of what is a very busy schedule right now, being in session to stop by and talk about this. Thank you very much. Eric, thank you again. Absolutely. Take care. Um, that was Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle. Uh, he, they got the adoption legislation out of the Senate. Now, it didn't include the religious liberty position, or the, the religious liberty amendment that a lot of us wanted, but it did include this which makes it still worth passage. It is a great piece of legislation. The actual piece of legislation that's been tacked on as an amendment is called the S Supporting and Strengthening Families Act, uh, House Bill 359. It was added into this, and again, as the lieutenant governor was discussing, what it does is it allows someone to use a power of attorney and pass care of their child off to an individual or a nonprofit for up to a year. So as he used two examples that have actually come to play in this legislation is uh, a parent struggling with opioid addiction, knowing that they need to go to rehab. There's no one they can surrender their children to. It's either foster care or their church. And so they're able to pass their child off to a church like North Point, for example, that had a great ministry doing this. Um, but in fact, the state came in a couple of years ago, last year actually, I believe, and said, you're not allowed to do this. You have to use the state. And so churches have wanted this provision put in. 27 other states, I believe the lieutenant governor said, have this provision. And Georgia, the bureaucrat, said you, you can't do this without that provision. So the Senate in particular pushed this legislation. It did pass the House last time. The governor vetoed it. The lieutenant governor's taking a strong lead on this, to his credit, uh, pushing this provision in the adoption legislation. Uh, the other issue that's come to play is a single parent in the military being called up to service and leaving a child behind where there's not immediately a family member able to take care of the child. They've been able, in cases around the country, to leave their child or children with a nonprofit connected to their church to take care of while they're in an active combat situation. Uh, it has worked very, very well in these cases. It minimizes the flow into state foster services and allows churches to play a role they otherwise couldn't, which is why some people are upset with this. I highly encourage you to tell members of the House and tell the governor to support this piece of legislation. The doom and gloom fear tactics that are being used against it, I think, are highly inappropriate given what this does. It has huge support in the faith-based community, Andy Stanley and others, coming out saying their churches would love to be able to do this again, and we're doing it successfully without scandal until state bureaucrats shut them down. So this would allow them to go back to helping families. It's 27 after the hour. 
Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. Thanks again to Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle for stopping by to talk about the adoption legislation and what was added. Um, it, it was frustrating, obviously, for me and a lot of you uh, that the religious liberty provision was kicked out. But um, this is a good provision that makes the overall legislation worth supporting, allowing people. Uh, parents to, without using defects, um, reach out to churches and others for help. Um, and it's amazing that they, the opponents of this are just resorting to the same scare tactics we've heard in the past. In fact, the same scare tactics we've heard about the uh, RIFRA legislation, the abuse, and uh, somebody even said that they would be selling their children uh, that you could sell your kids through. The, it, it's all a bunch of nonsense. It, it's a bunch of extremist rhetoric. And really what it has to do with is, as the go, as the Lieutenant Governor pointed out, they do not want churches involved in the care of kids. Um, only the state, according to the left. And unfortunately, the governor bought into the scare tactics last year. Hopefully he won't this year. Now, when we come back, we got to pivot to Washington. The federal government shut down. The House will be voting to reopen the government here any minute. I'll bring you the latest and what I know about Chuck Schumer caving. It's 39 after the hour. Eric Erickson here on WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. If you would like to get the podcast of the show or the show notes, you can text the word SHOW to 444-999. Y'all, the government is shut down still. It will reopen, though, in, I mean, it's probably only a matter of minutes now. The House Representatives, they've scheduled some debate time. Uh, Jamie Dupree telling me they went into session here at about 5.30. They're on the floor now, beginning debates to reopen the government, and the Democrats got nothing. I mean, they got nothing they they shut down the government. Here's the thing. First of all, the big difference between the Ted Cruz shut down and the Democrat shut down. When Ted Cruz and the Republicans shut down the government in 2013, it was over Obamacare as a fiscal issue. So you can say it wasn't germane to a continuing resolution or whatnot, but it was directly related to a financial issue related to the budget. DACA does not do that. DACA is not a financial issue. DACA is about prioritizing illegal aliens stayed in the country. And whether you agree or disagree with it, the fact of the matter is that it was ridiculous for Democrats to think it would be popular with anybody other than the far left base to do this. In fact, Shutting down the government was not even popular with immigrants to the country from Hispanic countries. There was polling on this. And you know it had to look badly for the Democrats for them to cave, tuck tail, and run. I mean, Chuck Schumer caving to Donald Trump. Donald Trump did nothing. In fact, there have been numerous press reports in the last 24 hours that the great negotiator, Donald Trump, was doing nothing. Where's our president, they whined. 
making Chuck Schumer kneel before Trump. That's exactly what happened here. The Republicans ran circles around the Democrats for what you know. I am used to seeing Republicans cave and get nothing. I can't remember the last time I saw Democrats cave and get nothing. And you know, the crazy thing is, think of the optics of this, folks. You had the, the women's march in Washington. You would never know, by the way, there was a march for life this weekend in Washington. No, the media was single-mindedly obsessed with the women's march. So you had the women's march in Washington. And the Democrats shut down the government. And you got to just imagine they looked out the window and said, holy Lord, that's our base. We need to reopen the government. I mean, to have the base of the base of the Democratic Party marching in mass in Washington and supporting the government shutdown for DACA. And then to have the Democrats in the Senate cave, sending Nancy Pelosi into a tizzy, running out saying, we're not going to vote for this. We're not going to vote for this. Doesn't matter. The Senate Democrats are going to vote for it. Enough of the Senate Democrats voted for it, losing only 18 votes, only 18 votes voted against reopening the government. And now it's gone to the House of Representatives and they're going to reopen it. Now, there will be a DACA deal, but it's not going to be the deal the Democrats wanted. Why? Because what the Democrats were trying to do, and you need to understand this because it's not getting reported. The Democrats were trying to do a deal on DACA where they then would not have to do a deal on border security. Now, on this government shutdown, the Democrats, here's what I'm talking about. The Democrats don't want border security as part of a deal on DACA, and that's why they shut the government down over DACA, because they wanted to tie DACA to the continuing resolution. And by tying DACA to the continuing resolution, they would leave out border security. So when the additional immigration bill came up, they could filibuster border security. Well, now they'll be unable to filibuster border security because border security will be included with the DACA deal. And since border security will be concluded with it and er, included with it, and the Democrats are desperate for a DACA deal, they've got no choice but to show themselves as either supporting greater spending for border security or opposed to a stronger border. It puts them in a bad position. And the Democratic base, by the way, is livid. You've got angry, large women in comfortable shoes and pink hats out there and their deepest voices yelling at Chuck Schumer. How dare you, Chuck Schumer? You have betrayed the feminists. And suddenly, of course, immigration is a feminist issue. I have no idea why, but they're declaring it a feminist issue. I mean, basically, any issue is a women's health issue and a feminist issue if the angry leftists want it. But it's not going to fly in this case. The Democrats have totally caved on this. Nancy Pelosi, by the way, saying that she and the Democrats in the House are going to vote against this, quote, they will refuse to be an enabler to the Republican failures anymore. What exactly does that mean? This is a failure of the Democrats to get anything done in the Senate. And by the way, there is new polling out showing that the Democrats are hurting themselves on the DACA issue. We'll get into that when we come back.
It's 55 after the hour. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Y'all, liberals are livid after the deal to end the shutdown. And by the way, can I just say um, it's interesting that they're calling them liberals um, because I thought they wanted to be called progressives. Um, but they are, whether they're liberals, progressives, they're just crazy, angry, bitter people. And they are really, really angry that the government is reopening liberal activists. This is from Elena Shore at Politico. Liberal activists are furious with the democratic senators after most of them agreed to reopen the federal government without a firm path to shielding young immigrants from deportation. As the third day of the shutdown dawned, liberal advocates and immigration groups fired off a joint statement blasting is unacceptable. McConnell's offer to merely hold a vote on immigration with no promises in exchange for Democratic votes to reopen the government. Millions of people flooded the streets of every American city to stand up to Trump this weekend. And yet the Democrats kneeled before Zod. <laughs> Um, they're not happy and the fallout is going to continue when we come back the breakdown. And by the way, Stacey Abrams, it looks like she's gaining some traction. Will this be the year to turn Georgia blue? The Politico wants to know short answer. No, but we'll explain why when we come back. After the hour, I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Thank you very much for joining me this evening. Um, I got a quick housekeeping note for all of you. Um, Brian Kemp's, uh, we are having to change... The the date of my live lounge with Brian Kemp um, because of my kids' father-daughter dance. And as a result, it's going to be February 1st. I will get everybody back out uh, info on signing up for that. We've still got slots available for Michael Williams's speech as well. Uh, Hunter Hill and Casey Kegler are lined up. Uh, Clay Tippett's, we are working to get him scheduled as quickly as we possibly can. Uh, incoming Republican gubernatorial candidate in Georgia, making a lot of buzz. And there is this from Politico headline. Is this the year Georgia turns blue? Now there's a standard rule with headlines that ask questions. And that is the answer is always no, but subtitle Democrats say shifting demographics engaged African-American voters and Donald Trump's unpopularity could be what it takes to flip the governor's mansion in November. Emboldened by statewide victories last year in Virginia and Alabama, Democrats are setting their sights this fall on another deep pride, deep South prize once thought out of reach. Georgia's governorship, a seat the party hasn't held in more than 15 years. The party has two major candidates with a lot in common. Stacey Abrams and Stacey Evans are both veterans of the Georgia State House. Both are running as unapologetic liberals who see a path to victory guided by tapping into black voters. In courting suburban whites. 
But that's not really true, is it? I don't think it is. Um, Stacey Evans is not running as an unapologetic liberal. She's running as a more moderate, mainstream Democrat who's willing to reach out to um, black voters and white voters. She's relying on her um, upbringing, her mom working at a gas station, things like that. Stacey Abrams, on the other hand, is running as an unapologetic liberal, in fact, being asked um, what she should do to try to reach out to people across the aisle, and her answer, in short, was nothing. Nothing. Stacey Abrams, remember, organized a protest against Stacey Evans at a liberal conference for the mere reason that Stacey Evans is white. She organized, Stacey Abrams' campaign organized a protest over another Democrat for being white. Don't tell me that Stacey Evans and Stacey Abrams are both running unapologetically liberal campaigns. That's not actually true. There's actually a pretty big difference there. And I don't think this is the year. You know, in my opinion, and it is my opinion, Stacey Abrams is nothing more than a huckster who has conned a bunch of rich Democrats into supporting her every cause from voter registration to whatnot. I got a bunch of liberal Democratic activists who more than once have reached out to me and said, can you raise the red flag on this woman? She is taking money from people like George Soros and just wasting it. I mean, these are Democrats saying that about Stacey Abrams. Democrats, in statewide Democrats, don't think Stacey Abrams can get elected. And yet she's the poster girl for the wave of the Democratic wave. Why? Because she is a liberal black woman from Atlanta who got the, the minority uh, ranking Democratic seat in the, House, in the House of Representatives in Georgia before stepping aside for someone else so she could concentrate on governor. She's tapped into this liberal resistance pulse, and so they all love her. And none of them have bothered to examine her record. Democratic donors who are super rich are just as dumb as Republican donors who are super rich, and they don't pay attention to the con jobs when they're happening. But yet they get favorable, favorable press for people like Stacey Abrams. She gets to be the picture. There's no picture of Stacey Evans here. It's just a picture of Stacey Abrams. She's the poster child for the wave coming that's not going to come to Georgia. When the last Democratic wave came in 2006, it didn't come to Georgia. This is just a way for Democratic donors to not realize they're being had. Now, on a related story, well, not a related story. I shouldn't say that. It is not in any way, shape, or form related. And if you have children in your car, I am going to be delicate here. Stormy Daniels. I thought we were done with this story. She's doing a show in South Carolina. She's actually doing a show around the nation at various adult joints. The New York Times covered them, getting attention. Y'all, it is far easier for people these days to believe a lie than believe a truth. Yes, it is far easier for some people these days to believe the absolute worst about everyone else they don't like, whether it's Trump or someone else. Um, but there is likewise a strain among people who just flat out refuse to believe their lying eyes. I am unaware in my entire legal career and in my time in politics as a political campaign manager and then campaign consultant, I am unaware 
of any lawyer going through the trouble of setting up a third-party LLC and then paying an adult film star or anyone else for that matter $130,000 to keep quiet. And I am really, really disturbed by people like Franklin Graham who are bringing up King David saying David and Bathsheba and God loved David when David clearly repented of the whole situation and then going on to say, well, I believe the president and the president says he didn't do it. This is just, there is a level of willful naivete among people on the right that are, they're getting taken advantage. I don't care if you like Trump more than the other side. I really don't. I don't care that you think he's a great guy. I don't care that you think he's a good president. I don't even care that you think he's the one who got the Democrats to cave when he doesn't have any clue what's going on. I don't care about that. What I do care about is your willingness to lie to yourselves, your children, and others about his character. And some of you are. Some of you are willing to admit that he has not great character. Others of you think he's some sort of role model. We have debased and vulgarized our society, and he's not the cause of it. He's just one of the examples of it. To see the vice president come out and say it's just baseless accusations. No, it would be a baseless accusation if someone made it up. It is not a baseless accusation when you have a multi-hour interview from the adult film star telling everyone that they watched Shark Week together while she spanked him with a copy of Forbes magazine and you've confirmed that the lawyer paid $130,000 through a shell company. That's not a baseless allegation. Words do mean things. If someone just makes it all up, then it is baseless. That's how you use the word baseless. But let's not just vulgarize the English language and degrade the English language to try to justify and excuse away bad things. That's why I think the short-term gains that are being made by conservatism right now are going to wind up being a long-term disaster because truth is out the window and words no longer mean what they're supposed to mean. Metro Atlanta area. It is 25 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. The House of Representatives has just voted to reopen the federal government. They will be sending this legislation over to the White House this evening to get it opened uh, again. And in three weeks, we will probably be back at this. Now, why? Well, the Senate is to the left of the House of Representatives on the issue of DACA and immigration. So the Senate is going to release a DACA plan and the House will vote on a DACA plan and never the two shall meet. And so there will be a standoff on what to do with immigration in the next over the next three weeks. I mean, that's all it seems they intend to be focusing on. Um, so we're just waiting to find out, um, what will the, what will the house plan look like? What will the Senate plan look like? And where they, now here, here's what I suspect is the house plan will allow DACA recipients to stay with no path to citizenship 
will fund the border and deport the parents. The Senate plan will allow the DACA recipients to stay with citizenship, allow the parents to stay with no citizenship, and partially fund the border. There are, and, and the question really is on the House side, um, what exactly do the House Republicans actually do with DACA? Because they're not even sure. There's a huge division among the House Republicans. But here's a thing people are missing. There's a growing division among House and Senate Democrats and their base over what to do. I mean, you've got Democrats coming out right now. Cedric Richmond, for example, um, a Democrat from uh, Louisiana, saying that they screwed up messaging. You've got uh, other Democrats coming out from the House of Representatives saying, quote-unquote, the Senate Democrats screwed us on the shutdown deal. You've got big fights on the Democratic side over the shutdown. But not only do you have big fights over the shutdown, you've got big fights over immigration. Because there are some Democrats who represent blue-collar areas in this country who are not fans of DACA. They are not fans of unbridled immigration in this country. And you're forcing them into tough positions. I mean, look at the, the example. So Linda Sarsour ha, is already out there. She's the, the nut job radical who defends Sharia. And she is out there saying that, um, what's his name? Doug Jones, the newly elected Democrat from Alabama, he needs a left-wing rival to primary him in Alabama. She's also saying that um, Claire McCaskill, the most endangered Democrat in the Senate, need someone to primary her. The Democrats are going to go into civil war over this in the primaries more likely than not um, because they are livid over the shutdown deal. They are livid over the collapse. And you're going to have a huge family feud on that side and reporters won't even talk about it because they're sympathetic. Hello there. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Uh, need to let you know one small detail. The, the Brian Kip interview rescheduled February 1st at 7 p.m. We still have a few tickets available for Michael Williams interview on February 6th at 7 p.m. Uh, Hunter Hill and Casey Cagle, we've maxed out. Uh, if you would like to come to either the Brian Kemp or the Michael Williams in interview, you have to have a ticket to come. You can text WSB to 345-345. Text WSB to 345-345. Uh, and I will send you back links uh, to the RSVP page for Brian Kemp and for Michael Williams. Um, so please consider doing that the sooner, the better to get these things locked in excited for these interviews. Uh, we will also have Clay Tippins soon. Uh, Clay Tippins is the newest Republican candidate, uh, was in the military, uh, businessman in Georgia, his campaign. We were able to connect with them today, as a matter of fact, and we will be having them in to also do interviews with us. 
regarding his run for governor in Georgia. It'll be an hour-long interview. Um, I have told them all I'm going for probative, not confrontational or combative. I want to know about them. I want you to know about them. Who are they? What sets them apart? Uh, What's their vision for Georgia? What are the big legislative initiatives they want to push? Um, And it should be good interviews, all of them. Now, let's go to the phones. Uh, First up tonight, Brad in Swanee, you are first. Welcome. Hey, Eric, thanks for all you do. Um, This is really a national idea for border security. And the idea comes from the last page of the tax forms. I used to actually fill them out physically that used to solicit donations for several different causes, elections, environment, and so forth. So here's the idea. I'd like to suggest that among its many actions to promote border control and security, the U.S. Congress create a secure path online to donate directly to build the wall. This would show America's support for the cause of border control. This action would not add significantly to the national debt, and it would get around the D.C. swamp. Also, the, web, the website could suggest that anyone wanting to build the wall could reserve the money that they would have spent on Dos Equis and contribute instead to border control. Thus, we make Mexico pay while at the same time becoming more sober. <laughs> well, I, I guess that's an option for us. I, I, I guess it is. I'm, wow, okay. Hey, let, let's, listen, I still think that we need to build the wall and we need to get people to contribute bricks. I mean, think of, think of, think of Turner field and now the SunTrust stadium. We got a bunch of people who were totally willing to donate money to buy a brick with their name on it to pave the stadium. Why not do that with a border wall? I mean, look at the president's total. Look at the number of people that the president got supported him. And you could take just half those people and you could generate billions of dollars on donations and build the wall. People donating bricks, buying a hundred dollar brick. Some people I'm sure would buy a thousand dollar brick and build the wall without the, without raising taxes, without taking money from somewhere else. I suspect there would be consumer interest in doing that. By the way, we will be putting uh, the interview with Casey Cagle up here in just a little while, and um, you'll have it also on the podcast. It's a good interview to listen to just so you understand the parameters of this change they made to the adoption bill that a lot of churches want. Um, I have had a number of people tell me that they really believe Governor Deal is taking bad advice on these issues. And, and these are not even people who side with me on, on the religious liberty issue, but on, on the adoption issue and some of these social issues, even some more moderate conservatives, uh, moderate Republicans are a little bit concerned with Governor Deal taking input from people who, for example, uh, oppose this addition to the adoption legislation. Um, I just, you know, he needs to support this legislation. He needs to take a stand for this amendment, uh, that Casey Cagle and others have pushed. And I hope he will, because it's, it's a good piece of legislation, uh, to allow parents to work with churches to care for their children. Uh, now 
I got it before I go to commercial break, and, and I realize this has been a little bit disorienting tonight. We've got a lot of breaking news happening with the, the House passing the legislation. Tomorrow they're releasing the the names of the movies, actors and actresses and whatnot, who qualify for the Academy Awards. And we are in peak preening from Hollywood right now. And it really is just, uh, to me, uh, audacious to see the Hollywood actors and actresses up there who for years have known what, what Harvey Weinstein and others were doing and act absolutely clueless. I was talking to a buddy of mine earlier today who will eventually get to listen to this podcast. He'll listen and he'll call. <laughs> and um, we're talking about this, like Rose McGowan and whatnot, complaining that they weren't inv- invited to the, the Golden Globes. They were snubbed. They weren't even in a movie, so they wouldn't get an invite. And the rest of these people, I mean, they all knew this was an open secret. And now you're supposed to applaud them for the courage of coming forward when they've known the whole time, some of them even taking advantage of it. And yet tomorrow, and whenever they actually have the award show, we're going to be subjected to all this moral preening because we can't just go watch movies anymore. We can't just go watch a movie and enjoy a movie. We've got to embrace the cause. We've got to embrace la resistance. We, we've got to embrace the poly, just like, like The Last Jedi. Is it gone long enough that I can say that it, it looks like they edited out parts of the movie that were an homage to La Resistance, the, the feminist uprising aboard the starship as they run out of gas? Of course, you would put a bunch of women in charge who would look at the gas gauge on a starship and say, eh, stands for enough, doesn't it? <laughs> I, I just, I mean, the, the whole thing was ridiculous. But they got to wrap their politics into all of it. And it's annoying. And then to look up there and see these are people who've supported the abusers for years and they have supported them. And now suddenly they want to play victim. It's just, I mean, why do we even have the award shows anymore just to allow them to morally preen on stage? It's 56 after the hour. Um, there's a story out in Vanity Fair by Gabe Sherman. Now, I, I got to tell you, in my time at Fox, I I took Gabe Sherman to be just a partisan hack against Fox who, who just had a grudge against Roger Ailes or whatnot. But I got to tell you, in my time at Fox, uh, the people who have told me that his sources, it's like he had someone in the room. Uh, recording everything. Uh, everyone I know at Fox paid attention to every single word he wrote uh, and took it as gospel truth. Uh, and sure enough, turns out pretty much everything he said turned out to be true at Fox. And he's got a report out now uh, channeling sources from inside uh, the Trump world who say Ivanka Trump is out to get uh, John Kelly, General John Kelly, that she is out actively looking for a replacement for the president's chief of staff, that the president has gotten angry about the chief of staff over uh, the issue of his meetings with Congress and his performance on Fox about the president's evolving positions on immigration. I will tell you this, though. A lot of Republicans are complaining behind the scenes that they have no idea what the president wants to this moment on immigration. That's going to play out over the next few weeks. See you guys tomorrow. Tomorrow.